Welcome to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. Gail Stewart here, your producer and co-host. I'm Raul Sandlin, as always. <laughs> and one of the biggest film festivals, role is coming to San Diego. Can't wait. Oh, man, it's going to be great. It is the San Diego International Film Festival. It kicks off. October 18th at the Museum of Photographic Arts in Balboa Park. I will be there. And joining us on the show today, hey, is the CEO, Tanya Mantooth. They're struggling for money, so they decide to uh, kidnap someone who's in the parliament in order to, you know, hold him for ransom. Right. And he does, they, they call the wife, and the wife says, you can keep him. <laughs> and, so, and he likes it. He wants to stay. <laughs> And he wants to stay because his poll ratings are going up because he's kidnapped. That's Tanya Mantooth talking about the British hit, A Kind of Kidnapping. It is screening at the festival. More with Tanya in the San Diego International Film Festival straight ahead. This is the San Diego Screenwriters Studio on San Diego Social Justice Network, KNSJ 89.1 FM. Today, Tanya Mantooth, CEO and Artistic Director of the San Diego International Film Festival. Welcome to the show, Tanya. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so opening night is Wednesday, October 18th. What can we expect? Well, we always have a great party prior to the screening. We're down at Museum of Photographic Arts in Bevel Park. And then the film we are premiering is Paul Giamatti's The Holdovers. And it is a really incredible film. Alexander Payne's the director. They're reuniting since sideways. So you can expect a very rich and just really satisfying film. Alexander Payne always brings some great characters to the screen. Yes, he does. Absolutely. So you have been with the San Diego International Film Festival for a while now, right? Correct. I came in in 2012. How do you explain it to the people that haven't been there or why should they come? What are they going to miss if they don't come? Well, you know, I think the thing that's what I feel is the most important about a film festival and why I think they really bring huge value, not only to the entertainment industry, but also to the community and people is it gives you a chance to see films that you never would have seen otherwise. Uh, For instance, when I look at the studio premieres we bring, we are able to bring films to San Diego that at that time they've just been released. And so they go on to be nominated for Oscars and the Golden Globes, but only a handful of audiences in the world have seen these films, and San Diego gets to see those first. And then on the flip side, we have independent filmmakers from around the world who are submitting to us. This year, we had over 3,200 films submitted. Oh, my goodness. From 80, I know, from 85 countries. Now, that's a lot of binge watching. Oh, my goodness. So we get the chance to call that down and really showcase incredible film and a lot of international film. And then with it, the filmmakers from around the world attend the festival. So as an attendee, if you love film, this is a perfect environment because not only do you get to see films for the first time or films you never would have seen, but the filmmakers here, you get to be part of a Q&A and understand why they made this film. And then you go out into the lounge, you have a glass of wine, you meet people, you talk about film, what you love, what you didn't like, and just have a discussion. And I think that's something 
we need more of. And I think that's what people are wanting is that sense of community and connection. And that's what a film festival brings. So when we talk about an international and getting the international films brought right to our doorstep, that's so interesting because the international films that are out there are so good and they take on such critical issues that we don't see coming out of mainstream Hollywood. You are so right about that. And I think that's the other issue is there are incredible topics that you may pass by if you're just pulling up films on Netflix. But I think a film festival, and for me, one of the things that was important was to use it as a platform to help people understand what are some of the issues that are going on. And one of them, say, for instance, is sex and human trafficking. And that's something I've curated on for a number of years. But now it's about bringing in partners and other nonprofits and being able to tell the bigger story for people to be aware that this is happening in our neighborhood or whether it's homelessness, or whether it's military PTSD. I mean, this year, we're partnering with the Gary Sinise Foundation. We have a world premiere of his film about military vets and PTSD. And it's about bringing those topics to the community so they understand, you know, that these global issues are human issues. And we need to have those discussions. So let's just go back to the holdovers. You mentioned it when you first got on with us. Have you seen it? Did you get to screen it already? I did. I was very Uh. fortunate. The (laughs) studio set up a private screening for me, so I did get to see it. You will laugh. Paul Giamatti is so funny, but you will, it will touch your heart. You will cry. And you walk out of that theater and you remember it for days. So I'm just going to read a little bit. Uh, With no family and nowhere to go over Christmas holiday, uh, 1970, Paul remains at school to supervise students unable to journey home. After a few days, only one student holdover remains, a troublemaking 15-year-old named Angus, a good student whose bad behavior always threatens to get him expelled. So there you (laughs) go. Yes, yes. It is delightful. It is delightful. Right, because nobody likes him any, it likes the teacher anyhow, and now this poor one one troublemaker stuck with him. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds so funny. It sounds so funny. But there's some other really good films. I was looking through your website, sdfilmfest.com, and I noticed a kind of kidnapping. That one sounds hilarious as well. Oh my god. That was one of my favorite films this year. It is a very dark British comedy. So if you love that kind of comedy, this is your kind of film. And so I'm not going it, to, it's, it's everything you can see in the trailer, but these uh, couple, they're struggling for money. So they decide to uh, kidnap someone who's in the parliament in order to, you know, hold them for ransom. They call the wife and the wife says, you can keep them. And so, <laughs> And he likes it. He wants to stay. <laughs> and he wants to stay because because his poll ratings are going up because he's kidnapped. Oh my! <laughs> so the kidnappers God. are trying to get rid of him, and he wants to stay because he thinks he's going to get in the office. Oh God! So it's very very funny, right? And then another on a more serious topic. Uh, it's based on a true story of a L.A. cab driver and three O.C. escapees, and it's called The Accidental Getaway Driver. So that sounds very, very interesting. And then the documentary Silver Dollar Road, about how a North Carolina black family fought to hang on to their waterfront property despite ongoing campaign against, by, against them by land developers. So very timely issue, you know, my goodness. Right. 
there's going to be the big red carpet, right? Kind of lay the groundwork for us on what we can expect for that. So this year, I mean, normally we will do a celebrity tribute, uh, but because of the SAG after strike, we decided to go ahead and postpone our celebrity tribute to 2024. And we're looking forward to bringing that back. Uh, but what we are able to do is we're able to bring filmmakers and actors for the independent films because they fall under a different contract guideline. Yeah, yes. So, so we're really fortunate about that. But we do have a film that's a French film called Simone Veil, A Woman of the Century. And actually, she's a French actress, and so she is coming for the Q&A. Oh. And, uh, and this story is really quite remarkable, and it's a true story of a woman who rose in the French government to become Minister of Public Health and transformed that, then transformed the prison systems. And she was a Holocaust survivor. And she built her sense of resilience and ability to withstand the opposition against the other parties because of what she went through and endured. It is a very, very powerful film. And we're so honored because we are partnering with uh, the Center for Jewish Culture on this film. Wow, and that is the gala film, the documentary. Wonderful, just incredible uh, woman of the century, Simone Vale. Give us a little brief description on when it starts, how long does it last, and where we can go see it. Uh, October 18th to the 22nd, so Wednesday through Sunday. And as I said, we open at a Museum of Photographic Arts in Belleville Park. And then after that, we are at AMC 14 which is in the Westfield UTC Mall. And that's where all the screenings are going to take place. We're going to be doing some really fun parties. We're uh, partnering with some luxury brands. So you get to leave there and go over and have a party in one of the luxury brands uh, stores and then come back. And it's going to be a lot of fun. And then, of course, we always close the festival with culinary cinema. What we'll do with that is we're actually going to start it at uh, Capital One Cafe in the Westfield for pastries and coffee. Mm. Then you come back to the theater. You see a film that I've curated on food. And then you come out and we'll have six chefs who will prepare a dish inspired by the film with a wine pairing. And that's a lovely way to spend your Sunday. Wow, that sounds terrific. My goodness. And how much are tickets, Tanya? So we have two levels of passes. So uh, $450 buys you the VIP pass, and that gets you into everything for five days, the VIP lounge, everything you get. And then for those who want to just see the film Thursday through Sunday, you get four full days of screenings. You get lounge access. We've got parties for you, and that's 240 And if you just want to go to an event or you just want to see a couple of movies, you can do those individually as well. That sounds so incredible. We're going to get this out on the San Diego Screenwriter Studio just to make sure people know that this is coming to town. It just sounds fantastic. So I want to ask you, before I let you go, what made you get involved with film? So I've been involved with film for a long time. Prior to taking over the film festival, uh, I've been a producer for a number of years, both film and commercial. And I think one of the things that has always been a driver for me is the sense of storytelling. And, you know, film is a medium that really allows you to kind of walk in someone else's shoes. And until you can do that, and I've always, I've always felt like when you sit in the theater, and if you get a chance to experience what someone else has experienced, 
you can't help but walk out of that theater a little bit changed mm-hmm. with maybe a different perspective. And that's always stayed with me. And so to now be able to have been a producer, produce films, understand it from what it takes to make a film. So I think I have a, a healthy respect for what these filmmakers do because I've sat in their seat and I've walked in their shoes. And now to be on the other side and be able to celebrate them is really kind of a wonderful full circle for me. Unbelievable. Right. Yeah. The storytelling is what it's all about. It just comes down to that, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Tanya Mantu, thank you so much. We are all really hyped about going to the San Diego International Film Festival right here in San Diego. So thank you again. Thank you so much. Welcome back to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. Gail Stewart here with Raul Sandlin, and we are talking pitches because that's what I'm in the middle of doing so many of them. But you're going to bring in some stuff today. Yeah, I wanted to share some lessons here. And by the way, to give a plug and credit where credit is due, uh, there is a YouTube channel, Studio Binder. Studio Binder. Yeah, it's a great one. Very good. Very good. They put out videos on all sorts of elements of screenwriting and movie making. So there's right ways and wrong ways to pitch. And here are some of the suggestions. Again, you want to be confident. You want to know your your product. You want to know your script. You want to project energy in the right tone. But then what do you do? How do you structure this uh, pitch? Well, I would suggest starting out with a couple of questions. Readers, listeners, movie watchers like questions, unanswered sentences. So start out with a couple of questions, then start developing your characters, the main characters, and how they answer those questions. You know, tell us what their desires are, what they want out of life, then go into the obstacles that are preventing that. Show some of the highlights of your script. And this isn't a one-minute pitch? It can be a one-minute. It could be a ten-minute. It could be even more than that. Did you mention theme? What's your theme? uh, Yes, that will come through the characters as you answer the questions that you start with. Okay. And and I'm actually going to walk through a little bit. Sure. You can help me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's Um, hear it. We both are working on pitches, and we all have pitches in different stages of Mm -hmm. finality. So this is sort of a rough version of that. So I'm going to start out with a couple of questions. So you're starting with your pitch and go. (laughs) What would you do if somebody bullied you? What would you do if it was the government that was bullying you? What if government soldiers kicked down people's doors, invaded and occupied factories and universities and different neighborhoods, especially in the poorer sections of the cities? What would you do if you got up in the morning and there were bodies littered on the highways with government-issued bullets in the back of those people's heads? You might want to fight back, right? And that's exactly what a lot of young people did in the 70s and 80s in Latin America. They formed guerrilla groups. They got hunting rifles, slingshots, homemade grenades, and started fighting some of the most powerful, well-armed armies in the world. 
And that's what my TV show is about. It's called Gorilla. It's about a guerrilla group, the National Liberation Front, loosely based on the guerrilla war in El Salvador and the Sandinistas in Nicaragua. And it uh, portrays a number of guerrilla fighters as they go through their daily lives and also pre- preparing for battle uh, with the government soldiers that they confront. All right. I have more, but is my minute up? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay, I'll have to keep it a li- little briefer, but I then wanted to go into some of the obstacles and conflicts mm-hmm. because even though I'm following the gorillas, it's not to say that there aren't good people on both sides. There's families with, you know, sons and daughters who are in the gorillas, but they have cousins and nephews in the government army. Where's so the emotional grab? Where do you kind of gr- the hook? Or the emotions. It is a war story. And anytime there is war and anytime death is imminent, imminent and just around the corner, there's emotion. Well, yeah, no, yeah, I know, but why should I care? Am I going to see a character that I fall in love with, that I sympathize with, one that I, I want to help? Or, you know, tell me about that. Uh, yeah, and this is one of my little tricks that I'm going to do with this. The constant character is actually going to be an army officer in the government, repressive government army. He stays the entire five seasons, okay, the 125 episodes. So he's the through character, he's right? He's the through character. Is he the, is he the antagonist or is he the protagonist? He's a mentor antagonist. Mm-hmm. He's on the wrong side, but he's trying to do good, and it allows the right side to sort of produce that they are good Mm. now with that said because i know you had asked me why should i care we're going to get to know these guerrilla fighters these young teenagers with hunting rifles who are up in the mountains training and then you know going out to fight fight the well-armed army we're going to get to know them as people many of them will fall in love in the guerrilla camps and then they go off to the cities to get slaughtered in battle So along the way, many of the characters that we get to know, kind of like Game of Thrones, are then going to suddenly be killed or die on us. You know, we got to know these people for an hour, follow them around, one missile hits the ground and they're dead. So the next, it's the next man up, next woman up, right? Yeah, so next episode, new guerrilla group, there's going to be some overlap, maybe some will survive to fight another day. Mm. There's also some conflicts because the army officer, the mentor antagonist, he has a daughter and a grandson who have joined the guerrillas. But they also maintain a certain communication with their father slash grandfather who is very worried and cares about them personally, even though he's on the other side. See, that to me is the story. That's really the the story, the emotional hook for me is that is the daughter and the grandson. Which symbolize the, the country being torn apart. Well, that was great, Raul. Great job on the pitch, actually. I think you did it good. Thank you. Even (laughs) though I stretched 60 seconds into 15 minutes. Actually, you stretched it into eight minutes, but who's counting? (laughs) On that note, actually, an eight-minute pitch is kind of the perfect length. 
All the videos I watched, eight minutes was kind of the right amount. There you go, then. So we, I did exactly what I was supposed to so do. So I'll buy it. Okay. <laughs> Option it. Where's the contract? Woohoo! You are listening to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio with Raul Sandalin, Gail Stewart here, on your Social Justice Network, KNSJ 89.1 FM. I'm Raul Sandlin here with the San Diego Screenwriters Studio, and today we're going to talk about indirect dialogue characterization and description. And since we don't have a textbook for this podcast, I'm going to refer you to Google or whatever search engine you use and encourage you to go out and look more at indirect dialogue characterization and description. Those are some key Google Googling words for you there, and they should give you more information. But as I said a little while ago, indirect dialogue characterization and description is the ultimate show don't tell, or as Gail said, the ultimate creation of subtext. You're basically saying things without saying things directly. And they deflect. They say, well, you do it too. Or they say, well, what about the other guy? Or they change the subject and completely go off on a tangent. Those are actually examples of indirect dialogue. So we use this in real life. Unfortunately, when we're script writing, we tend to be what people have called on the nose. If you hear that term, on the nose means too literal. So we're going to be looking at some examples of that and contrast that with indirect dialogue. So there's basically three ways of creating indirect dialogue, characterization and description. They're basically all the same thing. Indirect dialogue is the most important. But it all comes down to answering a question or commenting with, one, a third-person story or event that often doesn't have anything to do with the subject matter. Uh, two, a question, so kind of turning it around, asking a question. Or three, a seemingly unrelated first-person story or event, going into something that happened to you that isn't related or seemingly related to the topic at hand. Okay, so hey, let's just do it on the wing, okay? Okay. So I'm going to ask you a question, and you be direct with me, all right? Okay, an exercise. Okay, so where'd you get the shirt? I got it at the store. Why'd you buy that one? Um, It had short sleeves. Is that the only reason? I like the color. Was it on sale? Probably because I'm cheap. <laughs> Okay, let's do indirect, okay? Oh, God, this is going to be hard. All right, uh, let's try that. Okay, Uh, here we go. So you like plaids. Polka dots really turn me off. You know what? I had a polka dotted cat once. (laughs) It died. So you got some trauma around polka dots. I've got lots of trauma. Polka dots (laughs) might be one of them. (laughs) How am I doing here? I don't know. I I don't know. Okay. You ask me a question on the fly, an indirect conversation. Okay, so I'm going to ask you simple questions, and you're going to try to be as indirect as possible. Like I'm my usual my usual way. Okay. How are you today? You know, it's really hot today. Summer's supposed to be over, isn't it? I, you know, I need to really kind of get going. 
You know, a lot of people are looking for something new, aren't they? I wouldn't know. I just know that uh, I have to uh, go shopping. You have to go shopping. Where are you going to go shopping? No idea. I'm just going to. I don't even need anything. A little retail therapy, huh? No, not really. I don't even go to the malls anymore. Okay. Online? No, no, not online. Okay. All right. Where do you go shopping? You know, I don't really want to talk about it. Okay. All right. Well, you have a good day. I'll talk to you soon. Gotta go by. All right. Was that indirect enough for you? That's indirect enough, yeah. (laughs) So really... You were asking me, and I really didn't want to tell you what I was doing, right? Mm-hmm. At you were all. walking, I, kind of walking away. Yeah, from I the didn't question. want to share any information with you at all, right? Mm-hmm. And but instead of saying I don't want to talk to you, mm-hmm. I just kept switching the subject and kind of hoping that you would just get the get the drift. Mm-hmm. But you didn't. So, like when people will come up to us and we really don't want to talk about to them, but we also don't want to say, hey, get out of here. Right. You don't want to be direct with them yeah. or rude. Because if you get direct, it brings on too much of a con- potential for a conversation, right? So you kind of keep deflecting yes. until they move on, right? Until right. they go away. Right. So again, there's a lot of these examples in everyday life. We use indirect dialogue, characterization, description all All the the time. time. All the time. Probably more than we're conscious of, which would be a really good exercise to actually kind of capture when you're being indirect with somebody and when you're being very direct with somebody because it happens, as you say, all the time. And the more aware you can be, especially as script writers, the better because unfortunately when we put that pen to paper and start trying to write, we get very on the nose Mm -hmm. and we lose that ability to to create indirect dialogue. So it's a great exercise and I encourage students out there to practice this, find indirect dialogue within you because it's a fascinating topic and it's gonna make you a better script writer. When you get good at indirect dialogue, it's hard to go back to the boring direct dialogue unless of course the scene calls for it, right? Here and there, you always want to provide some relief. It's often a little too forceful if everything is indirect and reflective. And I think, yeah, because you have to have some type of relief in there with the conflict. And indirect dialogue kind of creates that tension that we all seek when we're writing. Mm -hmm. We like it. We like that indirect subtext dialogue. Practice using it in daily conversation, and then that way, when you sit down to write it, you've got the muscle memory just to pull it right on out. But I really liked when we sort of asked each other questions, and I'm just saying this because screenwriters might want to find a friend and kind of do a, a share thing where you just ask each other questions and try to come up with your most indirect answers possible. Right, and then you can switch back to being very direct with each other. You are listening to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio on KNSJ, San Diego's only social justice network. We have more final thoughts coming up. We are just about to close the studio door. One more time, a big thank you to Tanya Mantooth. 
CEO and artistic director of the San Diego International Film Festival. That is kicking off October 18th through the 22nd right here in America's finest city. And finally, we are now officially, Raul, in our fourth season of the San Diego Screenwriters Studio. We've been rocking for a while now. Oh, my God. Isn't it ironic we were just talking about 125 episodes, five seasons? Yeah. And it didn't seem like we'd ever even get close to that when we started, but now now we're almost there. I know. And my second time of going back to Austin, I'm kicking, getting ready to go back to Austin Film Festival. Like in a couple of weeks, it's going to be phenomenal. Yeah, you've sort of established these beats now. Now you're going every year to these different festivals. And that is one of my main stops. Austin's fun, I got to tell you. So anyhow... We will be back next week with a new show, Exciting Stuff. And I just want to remind listeners that we can be found on Spotify, especially if you missed us. You can go back to the archives and catch all four seasons. We are also on Apple. And if you Google San Diego Screenwriters Studio, you'll find our pod page. And we continue to be live or scheduled, rather, on KNSJ, uh, the Social Justice Network in San Diego, on Sundays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. That's right. So a big thank you to KNSJ for putting up with us for four seasons. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. And remember, sit tight and and write. Oh, thank you.